It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. <laughs> Who spilled water on my headphones? Who spilled water on my... Oh, my gosh. That was an unexpected uh, <clears throat> beginning to the show there when Walter puts his headphones on and it's full of water. Hmm, might have something to do with me because I did spill my water earlier this morning. I didn't realize it got on my headphones, on the foam on my headphones. All right. I'm operating under duress this morning, but it is the Lawn and Garden Show. It is 6.07 at News Talk WSB, 50 degrees outside. And I am Walter Reeves with wet headphones. See, I squeeze the water out of them right now. Oh, man. Okay, paper towel to the rescue. Ashley Fraska has paper towels to the rescue. Thank you, ma'am. Paper towels to dry out the headphones. Thank you so much. And we are taking the water out oh that's better that's much better dry headphones my friends we have got dry headphones on the lawn and garden show and that means we'll have an even greater greater show than we had originally planned all you have to do if you want a garden question answered this morning is to call me 404-872-0750 gets you in gets your question hopefully hopefully answered i have an experiment and I want you to do, if you can, with me to see if we can learn a little bit about Asian ambrosia beetles. Now, for some of you who remember, this has been easily 10 years that people have called and said, Mr. Reeves, I have toothpicks sticking out of the limb of my crepe myrtle, out of the limb of my fig tree, out of my Japanese maple. There are several that are affected by this beetle. And when the female beetle crawls into the, bores into the trunk or the limb of a tree, it uh, pushes out some, some sawdust, basically, as you knits it together with webbing. And so it looks like a little white toothpick, literally a little white toothpick sticking out of the trunk of the tree. It can be numerous. can be, oh, 5, 10, 15, 20 sometimes sticking out of the trunk of the tree. And so the question always is, well, can I spray it now that I see the toothpicks? And I'm sad always to say, no, nah, you really can't. Because insecticides simply don't penetrate. They don't go far enough into the trunk through the bark to kill the ambrosia beetle once it's inside. So you can't do anything now. But I say, when they're out next year, then you can spray. Then you can protect the trunk of your tree if you think you might have them. And I've discovered a way to monitor when they are out. This is the cool part. There is an easy, easy, easy way to monitor when the Asian ambrosia beetles are out flying around looking for your crepe myrtle or your Japanese maple or your flowering cherry tree, all of which could be could be attacked by the beetle. And here's a trap. The first I want to give you two traps. This is a bonus bonus warning. Two traps. Either one works pretty well. The first one is simplicity itself. You get a two-liter soft drink bottle. Easy to find, right? Go to your recycling bin, get the two-liter two soft drink bottle, take a pair of scissors or a razor knife or something, and cut a great big hole, like half or halfway through, all the way uh, from top to bottom, about half the whole uh, wall, I guess you'd say, of the two-liter bottle. It's cut away. Just cut it to make a great big window so you can get into the bottle. So it's a great big window. 
but leave a little bit of the bottom clinging to the to the to the bottom of your bottle there. You want some of the bottle of the bottle bottom of the bottle hanging, so that you can put a squirt of get this Purell hand sanitizer in the bottom of this cut out window windowed two liter bottle. Now, why do you do that? Why Purell? Because the Asian ambrosia beetle is very very attracted to ethyl alcohol, and Purell is one of the only hand sanitizers that uses ethyl alcohol as its main ingredient, the thing that, that uh, sanitizes your hands and, and fingers. So you put a dab, you know, a squirt, put a squirt of the Purell in the bottom of this uh, two-liter bottle that you've cut a big window in the side, maybe get some string and uh, hang it from the limb of a tree, from your crepe myrtle or your flowering cherry, whatever you got, and just hang it there. And the ambrosia beetles are attracted to the ethyl alcohol, but they come into the window and through the hole in the side of the bottle, and they get into the Purell and get stuck. And you then can go up and count them and say, okay, there's one, two, three, or there's none. If there's none, then you probably don't have any beetles that are flying around any time in the recent week or so. You need to renew the Purell every two or three days because it does evaporate. And so if you find beetles, then you know now it's time to go spray the branches and the limbs of my fig or my crepe myrtle or my flower and cherry or whatever. They seem to get into limbs that are three inches or more in diameter. I don't think I've ever seen one in a two-inch diameter limb. So it's not the little limbs at the ends of the branches. It's the bigger limbs, the trunk and the big limbs that generally seem susceptible to the Asian ambrosia beetle. Now, the other trap is almost the same, except this time you take a a two or three inch diameter limb, and I had cut down a dogwood la- last year. And I took this dogwood limb, about three inches in diameter, and about, what, 18 inches, I guess, long. And I put it in a vise in my basement, a little workshop in the basement. I put it into a vise so it could be held steady, and took a spade bit. I used a half inch spade bit on my drill and drilled a hole down through the middle of this chunk of limb. Just a nice half inch wide hole down the middle of the limb, about four inches deep. And into this hole, I can pour, you got it, ethyl alcohol. I use vodka, but you could also use you know, grain alcohol, whatever you got that's got alcohol in it, ethyl alcohol in it. You pour it down the hole. And I made a plug out of another piece of limb that I just chopped up. It was about the same diameter, a half-inch diameter. Just stick it in the hole, hold it down with my thumb, and put that out. Hang it up maybe with a piece of wire from another limb of a tree. Two different traps, one with a windowed two-liter bottle, Purell in the bottom, Another, a limb that you've cut a hole in the middle and pour some ethyl alcohol in to, to uh, attract the beetles. When you see them on the limb, they'll make it less what happened to me last year. Within four days, three, four days of hanging the limb in my cherry tree, one of those beetles had bored in, and there was a toothpick sticking out of the limb of that branch I had hung from my, from my flowering cherry. So if you want to do either one of those things, make those traps, it would be fun to have you report to me what you've caught. You can email me, georgiagardener at yahoo.com, or you can call on the show and let me know that you've caught some beetles. I would really, really like to know if these traps are effective and how easy it was maybe for you to, for you to be able to use it and count the beetles that are in there. It'll be interesting for all of us and a great, valuable experiment for all of us to learn a little bit more about. All right, let's go to the phones. We've got all sorts of people on the line right now. Ed is out in Johns Creek and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Let me push the button here. Hey, Ed, good morning. Welcome to Lawn and Garden. Hey, good morning, Walter. What's up? Uh, listen, I've got, uh, I live in, as you said, John's Creek, and I've got about um, a dozen or so pine trees yeah. uh, in my yard, and three or four of them have developed uh, what's been diagnosed as canker. Yeah. Um, 
the cankers are um, uh, are in various stages, and on one tree that was really prompted me to give you a call is between my house and my neighbor's house, and the tree is about uh, 18 inches in diameter, about uh, 40 to 60 feet high. Sure. has two cankers. One, uh, they're both up about 10 feet in the tree, and one of the cankers is um, uh, about, um, uh, as I said, on, on three to four feet high, about one feet wide, and one is on my neighbor's side and, and the other is on my side. And really, my question has to do with first of all, what causes canker? Just a you know, thumbnail. It's a fungus. Uh, there's fusiform rust canker, and it's pitch canker, which is formed by some of the fungus that I can't remember what it is. But both of them are fungal. And okay, okay. And are they treatable? No. Okay. Uh, my 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 concern is. Um, what is the danger of this of the tree being weakened and blowing ah, over? I have I have a tale for you, Ed. Yes, sir. Were you living up in Johns Creek back in the back in the eighties? I want to say when a tornado came through, it hit hit Dunwoody pretty badly. But were you living here then? Back in the I, I was not. No, sir. Okay. Well, back then, a tornado went through Dunwoody, and a lot of trees fell down up there and I about two days after the tornado had passed through went up with my camera and drove through the subdivisions taking pictures of the trees that had been broken off many of the pine trees that had been broken off Ed broke off at a canker wound mm. oh mm. so you know where I'm going to go with advice for you and your canker on your pine tree which is I wouldn't park my car underneath it okay. <laughs> your okay. house there is that is a weak point in the trunk. And okay. Okay. You're talking uh, to a guy right now who spent close to two thousand dollars to have two or three pine trees with canker in them taken down last year because I was afraid of the same thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, the the last question has to do with the remove after I get the tree removed and I uh, decide to have a stumps ground. Yeah. On 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 either side on on both two sides of the of this tree are two small black cherries that are one's about uh, six inches from the tree and the other one's about 18 inches from the tree yeah. i want to have my stump ground on the tree that i would have removed okay and my the, the one of the people that came out to look at it said if i grind your stump it's probably going to kill the black cherry that's closest to six inches away from the tree because the roots are intertwined yeah. uh is that Seem plausible. I mean, I'm yeah, very, very plausible because they can't be that exact about where they put the teeth of the stump right in. And, right. You know, honestly, Ed, you haven't lost much by losing a black chair. I, I know it it, it. it does provide some a little bit of privacy between both of my house and the neighbor's yeah, house. I would I'm, get something better. I'm told junk trees, but uh, cherry laurel is evergreen, or there are other things that would be much better. And their hollies maybe go in there and right. replace it. I, if, if I have the, the stump ground down to the to the down to the level of the earth, yeah. uh, I, would, would that? I'm just asking because I'm curious. Would, would that allow the tree to continue to live? No, the black cherry. No, if it's ground down to the trunk, I don't. I don't think it's even going to make any root sprouts from it. Okay. Be, All right. Well, listen. Right.
I really appreciate your help, Walter. It is great talking to you. Thanks yes, so much sir. for calling. We'll see okay. you soon. At 618, we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Securities. Today, a 50% chance of showers sometime during the day. Highs could reach 70 in places around the metro area. Tomorrow, some sun, stray light showers again possible. But in the afternoon, high mid-60s tomorrow, low of 55 overnight. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We've got, let's see, Seth and Winder joining us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Seth, good morning. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Tell me what you're going to do with ashes on your cornfield. Yes, sir. Uh, actually, this uh, there's two things now because one piggybacks off of your previous caller. I'll I have make it relatively quick. I don't have a lot of time at the bottom of the hour. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, I had some trees removed on my property. The uh, brush pile is near my cornfield. I was going to burn my brush pile down Got it. and spread the ash on my cornfield. When would be a good time to do that? The best time would be after you've taken a soil test to know exactly how much lime or how much the pH needs to be adjusted in the cornfield. The second best time would be any time you feel like it. <laughs> the third okay. time would be maybe today, tomorrow, when the rain can wash it into the, into the soil. But ashes, I mean, you probably know this already, Seth, but ashes are like lime. You put lime on a field or on a lawn, either one, to adjust the pH so the soil is not so acid and uh, makes the fertilizer go into the plants a lot better. So ashes act like lime, and they do the same thing. They raise the pH some and make the corn get the fertilizer a little easier. Awesome, awesome. And the second thing, real quick for you, uh, your previous caller was talking about his specific situation. My situation was very similar to that. Um, I had two small trees near two pines that I needed taken down. Yeah. Uh, There was a a local man uh, company called Overalls and Chainsaws actually (laughs) did that specific thing. And uh, so far, both of my, now this has been about a year and a half ago now, both of my small trees are still alive. I found the guy on Facebook, and I thought the name was kind of funny. So um, I, I called the guy up. And the man did me a great price and did a really good job. So, it's a careful. I don't know if that's yeah. something for that fella or not, but uh, it'd be worth a shot. I, w- I just wouldn't want to guarantee that I want to keep your other trees safe and happy here while I grind with these big teeth of my stump grinder while I grind well, up the, your. The man uh, didn't grind stump. the stumps down. Uh, he actually cut them off really low uh-huh. and just drilled a couple of holes in them. And uh, the way he explained it to me was. Just letting Mother Nature do its thing slowly over that stump yeah. would allow the other trees time to kind of branch away. Ah, uh, so he wasn't grinding roots. at all. Yeah. No, sir. He just he just cut them down almost flush with the ground. I don't disagree with that at all, Seth. I think that uh, drilling holes in the stump allows water, rainfall to get inside there. If you want to sprinkle a little fertilizer on top, that helps to decompose uh, organic material with the presence of moisture. So you could do that too. But the holes in the stump, here it makes sense to me. And I can see now how he kept those uh, other trees around it safe. Thank you for calling, Seth. we got to get, get out of here at 627 at News Talk WSB. More Lawn and Garden right after news. 
It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 6.35 on a Saturday morning, 50.1 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful. All you have to do is ask questions. I don't know what it would take, but if you'll tell me what it would take to make you more successful, I will try to get you there with some combination of research-based information and a little experience on my part that can tell you how you can reach the goals that you have set for your landscape. The number is 404-872-0750. And since Ashley Frasca is here in the call screener seat, we will take some Twitter qual- Twitter questions. If you're on Twitter, have a Twitter account, just hashtag AskWalter with your question. Ashley will read it out later in the show, and we'll answer it on the air. Again, 404-872-0750. Michael is in Dallas and joins us on Lawn the Garden. Brother Michael, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm doing great, Michael. What's up? Hey, listen, several years ago, uh, I called you and uh, you gave me some great advice on growing peach trees. And mm-hmm. I remember one of the things you told me was that no one ever got rich growing peaches. Now <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I've got these little varmints called squirrels. Oh, yeah. And I've tried everything uh, from from reading things on the Internet, putting mothballs out there. I don't want to plink them and get rid of them. I just don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Is there a natural shrub or a plant? that I can grow, or what's some advice to to keep these squirrels away from my uh, tree? Uh, One word answer to your first question, no. There's not a repellent particularly that is effective against squirrels, shrubs, or flowers, or sprays, or anything else that I've ever found. And the real answer that I use myself just to keep them out of my tomatoes is I have a live trap, and I trap and remove, trap and remove. I take them to a little park near my house that... uh, I figure I'm a taxpayer, so I own part of that park, and so I release them there. So um, that's what I do for squirrels. I don't try to plink them, as you say. I don't try to poison them. I don't try to trap them with uh, lethal traps. I just take the live trap and remove them to somebody's place about two miles away. Okay. That's all well, I Well, I'll, I'll, I'll invest in about ten traps then. <laughs> well, they're going to be a little It's pricey for that, but one or two is fine. I bait them with uh, sunflower seed back in the back past the trigger, and uh, nail them to the ground. I get some two big long spikes I got from Home Depot that I stick in the ground beside them to sort of hold the trap in place so they can't get underneath it. And you can trap. I know last year between the middle of May and the middle of June, early July, I had 10, I believe, squirrels that I'd taken out. Okay. So Well, I'll give it a shot. It's not to say they won't move in. Others in the neighborhood will say, look over there at Michael's Peachtree. Let's go over there now. And so yep. others will move in, but there may be enough of a lag time between the ones you take away and the new ones discovering your backyard that you'll get some peaches finally. That's what you want. Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much. You bet, Michael. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. 38 minutes past the hour, and that gives uh, Rosemary in Winston, Georgia, her turn. Hey, Rosemary. Good morning. Good morning. How can I help? I have just put my tomato seeds in dirt yeah. under the grow light. All right. Good now, deal. Now, do I keep that thing on 24 hours a day? No, 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 no. Um, it, it needs to be warm in the places you have the seeds, and the lights will warm it during the day, but there also needs to be a period of darkness during which the seed does some things that it needs, or the seedlings 
do some things they need to do. So until the seed has sprouted, I suppose you could keep it on 24 hours a day, but as soon as the little leaves start peeking up out of the soil, it needs to go to about 16 hours. I'm thinking about 16 would be right. 16 hours on and 8 hours off. Okay. Man, I've always do. wondered. Yeah. If you if you leave it on all the time, Rosemary, they will stretch out. The space between leaves will stretch out. It'll be four or five inches between. it look like a, a green snake climbing across your <laughs> across your starting uh, pad. So it's not going to be very effective to do it that way. But darkness is important for plants. They do things that are important to you and me or to them, I guess. And uh, they need that darkness in order to grow healthily. I'm glad to hear that. All right. Now you know. Have a blessed day. Yourself the same. We'll see you soon, Rosemary. Okay. Dick is in Atlanta. Here he is on the air with us this morning. Hey, Dick, good morning. Good morning. I've got a problem with my voice. I'll do the best I can. Okay. I've got a copperhead under my deck. Get out. Where do you see him? When have you seen him, Dick? They, they, they sneak out all the time. Get out. And, and how do I kill him without killing my cat? Well, let's think about it. Whenever you have, and I'm... You know, not seeing the snake, I'm not going to doubt your word, but sometimes there are snakes that have been misidentified as copperheads when they turn out to be something else. So it's possible you don't have copperheads, but gray rat snakes or red rat snakes or something like that. But let's not worry about what you have. Let's talk about, in general, how do you keep a snake from being in a place that bothers you? Because that's, they're bothering you, right? We don't need a snake yeah. to... Well, they, they really are copperheads. Yeah, make you, you know, watch your step when you go down off the deck sometimes. <laughs> the only thing you can do, there are no repellents, just like I said to the caller a minute ago with squirrels. There are no repellents that make snakes go away. I know there are things that are sold, like mothballs and sulfur and things like that. They do not work. Research has never shown that they work, so don't waste your money on them. The best way to repel a snake is to modify the habitat. And the habitat is, I mean, why is a snake anywhere? Why is a snake in your, under your uh, deck? It's because they found something they like. They either found crickets and frogs and you know, earthworms and things they can eat. So that's one thing they're looking for. They look for shelter, obviously, to keep from being you know, beaten on the head by people like you, Dick. A little water underneath there might be useful to them, too. So if you think of what habitat, what conditions am I providing for snakes underneath my deck? Maybe it's shelter. In that case, honestly, the best thing to do is to enclose the bottom of the deck so they can't get underneath there. I mean, that's... The important thing the deck is it the ground. You can't cut it. Well, that, that is, you know, get a good carpenter to come look at it and see if there's any way in the world that it can be sealed. Because if you can seal it, then they're less likely to be there. I mean, they can't be there because right. you seal it up. Right. Uh, if you have any things like log piles, stone piles, uh, lumber piles, uh, right. sheds and things like that, that's what, another good habitat for snake because they can get in there and eat the crickets and eat the frogs, eat the lizards. You can take those away. Eat. Yeah. So take those piles away. And knowing that you don't much like snakes anyway, Dick, I also recommend getting a, a walking stick is what I call it, a walking stick that you put by the back door or by the steps to the deck or somewhere that's easily accessible. And whenever you go down, just thump it on the ground. Just go bump, 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 bump on the ground. Because that's how snakes find their prey, one, but also find their, their antagonists, too, the, the things that prey on snakes. Uh, like humans and things. They do not like big vibrations. That scares a snake to death. They think, oh, man, something's bigger than me. It's going to come eat me. i got to get out of here. i got to keep my head low. I don't want Dick to see me down here. And so thump the ground good and hard. If you have shrubbery around the yard and you're walking through the shrubbery, then just sort of swish it a little bit with your walking stick. 
And that, again, provides vibrations that the snakes are going to say, get out of here, something's coming bad. Thank you, thank you. Modify the habitat, Dick. That is the only thing you can do. Keep your grass mowed. That's the third thing. Last thing I guess I say is keep the grass mowed so they don't, don't have a place to, to crawl towards the house from the, from the woods. Thank you much. All right, we'll see you, Dick. Thanks for calling. And again, we did not specifically identify that as being a copperhead. Dick believes it is, and I'm going to take his word for it. But for any snake, if you don't like snakes, and I'm not going to say you need to like snakes. Snakes are beneficial, sure, but some people just don't like them. But that doesn't mean you have to kill every snake you see. You can modify the habitat so you never have any snakes there. Remove the log piles. Remove the log piles. Find the habitat where they like to, to hide and get underneath things like the underneath the deck there, underneath the shed or something like that. And if you modify the habitat, then the snake is going to go somewhere else. And if they're somewhere else, not your problem. Russell is in Rockmart, in Rockmart, Georgia. Hey, Russell. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. What's up? So I'm in the process of buying a house. There's this big, beautiful magnolia tree in the front yard yeah. that has completely eradicated all the grass. Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend for... Uh, trying to get grass back under there. My fiance won't let me cut down the tree. So, uh, uh, you're not going to grow grass underneath the magnolia tree, Russell. Many, uh, many, many people have tried, and many, many, many people have come, come up short on that endeavor. The plants that you can grow, it looks just like grass, and your fiance is going to be very happy with you, is either monkey grass or my preference is mondo grass. Mondo is a kind of grassy-looking plant. It's really a lily, but nonetheless, it grows really well in deep shade. And that's what you got underneath the magnolia. And that's why grass itself won't grow there, because all our turf grasses like fescue and things like that need at least four to maybe six hours of sunshine in a day. You're not going to get that underneath the magnolia tree for sure. All righty, sounds good. I appreciate so it. So find some Mondo. And honestly, you don't need to go to a nursery to buy it. A lot of times, if you just ask around with your friends at work or at church or someplace where you have a gathering of people and just say, does anybody here have a little patch of Mondo grass in their backyard they don't want? And you'll find, Russell, lots of people do. And they may even know what it is, but they know it's an evergreen grass-like plant that they maybe want to get rid of for one reason or another. You can dig it up with a shovel. Divide it, and man, these are so easy to divide. You can dig a shovel full, it'll be 50 plants in that one shovel full. And I was in my backyard yesterday looking to the place that I had planted mondo grass about four years ago, at six inches apart from each other. I hired the kid down the street actually to do it for me, and uh, he in that period had covered an area maybe 10 by 10, I guess. It is now easily rustled 20 by 20, solid green. It's just perfect back there and I don't have to worry about the shade from the crepe myrtles coming down and killing my grass because the mondo grass now has covered everything up. It's nice and green looks like great in the backyard mondo grass can take a lot of shade M-O-N-D-O mondo grass get it from your neighbors if you can Perfect, I'll have to look into that Alright Thank you. Thank you Russell, thanks for calling We'll see you soon Thanks. It is Sally's turn, Sally's out in Avondale Estates here in Atlanta Hey Sally, good morning Good morning, Walter. Yes, um, I've got poa weed in my fescue, mm -hmm. and uh, when I had my yard treated the other day, the guy left me a note saying that he treated for broadleaf weed, yeah. but it would not take care of poa. So what should I do? 
I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Sally, you can hear the gears grinding right now. You know, I have such a love-hate relationship with fescue. This just doesn't make it any better. I don't think you can do anything right now, Sally, to be truthful. I don't think it's anything practical or easy to do with the fescue. I think the best thing to do is leave it alone. If you want to go in there with this really heavy clump of the poor annual, then go in and spray it with Roundup, but you're going to have to sprinkle some, some fescue seed in there afterwards mm-hmm. when the poor is dead. The way to prevent it is to do the weed prevention, do the uh, pre-emergent in the fall sometime around the first or the second week of September. If you put any pre-emergent out worth its salt, like halts or, or uh, dimension or pendimethalin or any of those things will prevent annual bluegrass from sprouting if you put it out at the right time. So you got to do it around the 1st to the 15th of September, and if you do it then, most of the time, all the grass that wants to sprout during that time will not be able to, and you can just uh, get rid of the poor that way by preventing it. But right now, this year, Sally, sorry, I don't think there's a way to do it practically that you can accomplish. Thanks for calling, though, at 648 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. I love you. That's a nice song. Today, well, let's start by saying the weather is brought to you by Ackerman Security. 50% chance of showers today. Highs could reach 70 around town this afternoon. Tomorrow, some some sun, some showers. We'll see what happens. Possible in the afternoon. Highs in the mid-60s. Low around 55 tomorrow night. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Bill in Williamson comes up right now on News Talk WSB. Hey, Bill. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. Uh, five years ago, I bought what I'm calling a weeping red bud. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, it's pinkish, uh, purplish. It's not red. Yeah. It weeps over. The trunk was two feet tall, straight, and it has not grown at all as far as height is concerned. Is there any way that I can get that height taller? Hmm. Some re- it seems to me my memory is that some weeping red buds are genetically weeping. Their their habit of their limbs is simply to droop over, however tall they are. And some are grafted. And I'm not sure whether you have a grafted one or a natural one. Do you? Yeah, that's know? what I was concerned about the grafting. I'm also having shoots coming up from the bottom that are right. straight. That so sounds that would, like a that probably indicates it's grafted. Yes, it, it does. And if it's grafted, then wherever they grafted the weeping limbs onto, it's not going to get any taller than that. Okay, I figured that. Well, sad to say. Now, that said, Bill, I have a redbud in my backyard that surprised me as I was walking around yesterday. I got it easily five years ago, just like you. It's called Donald Egolf. He was a redbud breeder up in the northeast. And Don Egolf... Um, had one that was named after him because it is so, I mean, you, most red buds have a lot of flowers on it. This one has even more than a lot of flowers. It is covered up solid, the limbs, the branches, the twigs. And mine started out two and a half feet tall, and then it went to two and a half and two inches, and two and a half and three inches, two and a half and four inches. And I went yesterday, it's up to my shoulder already after five mm-hmm. years. So it got a lot taller than I thought it would. It's going to be okay. pretty dwarf, but still bigger than I thought it would. But yours, I think, is going to stay where it is right now. Okay, and explain to everybody why it's called a red bud rather than a pink bud. 
because most of them have red, purplish, red buds on it. That's the best example I have. I don't know, Bill. Why is it called red bud? Good question. Most of the buds on it are red. Yeah, it's 657 at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news.